Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Tonight we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And the last time um, in chapter 6, we saw that the brethren at Corinth was often filled with friction, envy, and division. Uh, And that Paul frequently describes that because they were puffed up. They had a lot of pride. And it's not surprising that they were also guilty of taking their brothers to court to uh, settle issues that they had amongst them instead of instead of working it out amongst themselves, like believer to believer. So it, um, with an expression of shock and disbelief, He instructs them through a series of questions designed to help them absorb what is wrong with what they've been doing. In later half of the chapter, it deals with a major problem, sexual immorality. That might be acceptable behavior for some of those Christian uh, Corinthian people, but as we all know, that's it's not proper as you are a believer. The scripture doesn't pretend to give us answers to all of our questions, all of our questions and merely gives us principles to govern our lives. It would be impossible to answer every single question that we might have. But Paul, but Paul in this letter to the church is going to be talking a lot about marriage in this particular section. This is how much we don't know about marriage situation of those who Paul is writing. We know that there are some Christians in the Corinth whose marriages have dissolved. But we do not know the details of those issues. We don't know why. But we, what, we, what we do know is the basic principles that were that we could guide that, that that could guide us in living our lives fully devoted to God in those circumstances, and we know that God says marriage is honorable. For anyone who has been married, you know, or is married, that it's honorable. I personally, this Friday, will be celebrating an anniversary. We will be married for six years on Friday. We are, thank you. We are starting a new hand, six. And I know personally that without Nicole by my side, I will not really be accomplishing a lot of the things that I've accomplished. Uh, she's always there to uh, support me and, and guide me uh, where I might need to be guided. Um, I know a lot of the things that I've went through a couple years ago. I had a 
two grueling surgeries on my kidney stones in the summer of 2017 with a somewhat complications in the recovery, and I know that uh, Nicole was there to always get me through those times and pray with me, and just I just know that I couldn't have gotten through all that stuff without Nicole. So, so starting um, with chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is is it it is good for a man not to touch a woman nevertheless because of sexual immorality let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband before i continue does anyone want to switch with me at all <laughs> anybody all right it's worth a shot So this chapter begins with Paul dealing with a specific question asked to him in a letter by the Corinthian Christians. Why would the Christians suggest that it is not good to touch a woman? It probably figured that if sexual immorality was such a danger, then one could abstain from sex altogether, even in marriage. But in verse 2... It says, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. So even though sexual immorality was present in the Corinthian culture as it is today, it is appropriate for a husband and wife to have each other in a sexual sense. So to avoid sexual sin is for a man to have his, have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. So it does not mean you run out there and find anyone who is breathing and has a pulse. That's not what he's saying. But it is to be for the right reasons. One man, one woman in a married situation. So that, so that right there pretty much include, um, excludes women and women, men and men, one man, one woman. It, that sacred and special time it's, it says in Hebrews 13:4, marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Sex is holy, given to us by God, and it's a shame when people don't treat it in that way. A lot of people looked at me when I was uh, about to get married, and or shocked that a we didn't live together, and a that uh, b that we didn't partake in any of that sexual encounters before marriage. They were shocked. They were they were 
they were saying the marriage wouldn't last because we didn't live together. And um, that's just the way people nowadays look at things. If you, you have to, I guess, live together first in their eyes because they want to know what it's going to be like when you're married. So they want to live together. But a lot of times, things don't, things don't come out really when you're just living together. When you're married, there's things that you learn each and every day. So living, living together will not really prepare you for marriage before you're married. Just being with one another in the Lord and being in the Word together and just growing closer to one another through Him is the best way to prepare yourselves for, for marriage. So continuing in verse 3, it says, Let the husband render his to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have the authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have the authority over his own body, but the wife does. So in the last chapter, he speaks about everything that was wrong with the misuse of sex. Now he's going to talk about what's right in the Christian marriage. So in 5 says, Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves a fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So do not deprive your spouse if, if it's not a consent. If there's an issue or something's going on and you come to an agreement, that's okay. I don't know if anybody knows this, but loading a dishwasher is very, very um, technical skill. It... Um, I don't know if there's any Tetris lovers out there, but it's sort of like that. You got to fit all the pieces in there and stuff like that. So if uh, you get deprived from sex because you didn't load a dishwasher properly, that's not the right reason. Or if uh, you leave a sock in the fridge, that's also not the proper reason. It has to be a mutual thing. Um, that is agreed upon, and because Satan, you know, Satan will take that that time and try to put himself in that and, and ruin everything, because that's what he likes to do. He likes to ruin everything. And then at the end of that, it says, um, verse 6, But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment, for I wish... That all men were even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner or another in that. So each one of us has a gift from God. Paul knows um, his singleness was good for him, but he wasn't going to 
force on anybody. The important thing is that it was a gift from God. Whether you have a gift of being single or a gift of being married, what you don't have a gift is what you don't have a gift is for sexual immorality. The married must live faithful to their spouse, and the unmarried must live celibate. Going back to uh, verse 8. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than burn with passion. So again, self-control... And and being in the Word to help you through those temptations is what you need is what we need to do because it's better to marry than to burn in sin with going out there and just finding anybody to do those things with. Verse 10, now to the married I command, I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from, depart from her husband, but if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be, re, or be reconciled with her husband. And the husband is not to divorce his wife. So biblical love is a committed love, is a love that is seeking another's greatest good. It goes far beyond the physical or the emotional. It's a kind of love that characterizes what Christianity is all about. It is a love that stays committed to loving and the unloved for better or for worse. There are only two reasons, it says in the Bible, that God recognizes divorce. And it's um, sexual immorality and when an unbeliever uh, deserts a believing partner. God doesn't recognize any other reason for that. So I don't. Um, so if a if you're a believer and you're in a marriage with an unbeliever and they don't want to be married anymore, they don't want to be in the relationship anymore. There's um, the Lord recognizes that as a reason for divorce and he allows it or sexual immorality there's no other reason for divorce it says verse 12 but to the rest I not the Lord say 
If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe he is and is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your, chi- otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. So Paul is now shifting his attention from partners, two partners that are Christian in their relationship, and now he's shifting to one who is a believer and one who's not a believer. But why should Christian why should a Christian try to keep their marriage to a non Christian? Because God could be glorified in such a marriage because It made, he may do a work through the believing spouse to draw the unbeliever to him. It doesn't mean you specifically look for an unequally yoked marriage, but if it happens to be that way, you have an opportunity to maybe get the unbeliever to become saved in your marriage. So you shall not divorce. It says, um, not only does the presence of the believing spouse is good for the unbelieving spouse, but is also good for the children. Because it shows to the children the word, and it shows to the children godly manners. So they are holy, it says. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. That was 15. But God has called us to peace. 16. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So again, the Lord has a plan in everything. He will take the marriage and use you to speak to your unbelieving spouse. And if they don't want to be in the marriage anymore, then the Christian is not under bondage under the marriage covenant, it means they are, in fact, free to remarry because God recognizes their divorce as a valid divorce. So as I read at the end of that, how do you know whether you will save your husband or how do you know, oh husband, whether you will save your wife? So there's some hope here at the end here um, in this verse. There's some hope here because many Christians who marry unbelievers get discouraged. 
that their spouse doesn't know God and they get frustrated and there's fighting and there's there's friction within the marriage because they feel like they there's like there's no hope in them finding the Lord but there is hope they should know that with faith and patience they can look for God to work in their in their hearts as difficult as it might be their marriage is honored by God in 1 Peter 3 it says that your unbelieving spouse will probably not lead to be led to Jesus by your words but by your godly and loving conduct so continue to pray for them continue to live for Jesus only he knows what what will happen only he knows people's hearts so if you can you know you can continue to just be their support system and they will they might find their way only he knows what will happen like i said Seventeen, it says, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. So let and so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Was any? Wait, let him not because. Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. So, No matter your status, married, single, divorced, widowed, circumcised, uncircumcised, whatever, live for Christ in the situation that you're in now. Be in his word. Continue to serve him if you serve. Try to serve him if you if you're not serving quite yet, but can, whatever your situation is, live your life like like Christ, where you are now. And every time you wherever you go, just continue to live for Christ wherever you are in that particular situation. Twenty one. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you were, but if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedom. Likewise, he who is called while free 
is Christ's slave. You were brought at a price. Do not become slave of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. So don't think that the Lord can't use you in that situation. Don't think the Lord can't use you in any situation. I sometimes feel like the Lord can't use me, but maybe some of the things that I might say up here may hit somebody. Um, May not feel worthy at times. May not feel like as comfortable as as some, but the Lord could use you when you not when you're not sure how He could use you. A lot of times in the workplace that I that I have, there's a lot of unbelievers. Um, I'll go around preaching twenty four seven, but I do on occasion say some things, and sometimes it looks like they dismiss it. Sometimes it looks like they are taking it in. So um, God could use me in that situation. And if someone gets saved um, with that, it's just a blessing. A lot of times, also, when you don't think you have, I mean, having good Bible knowledge is also a big key And when you're trying to uh, share the word, it's good to have uh, your Bible, um, some of your Bible memorized, some verses. Um, You never know what might come up. And it's good to to really know your Bible to uh, get out there and, and spread the word. There's always situations that you could be used when you're out in the world. And my question tonight is, are you ready to be used right now in your situation? Are you ready to just take on whatever the Lord has for you? Are you ready to follow his guidance, his guidelines? Because it's all right here in the Bible. Everything you need to know is right here. So are you ready to be used? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.